Welcome back to the gospel, culture, and me. Yes, we're back again. We're talking culture. We're talking the gospel. It's what we always do. And we're talking where you and I fit into the mix in our ever-changing world. My name is Steve Smith, and usually we talk about a topic where the church has historically missed the mark. But today, it might be more accurate to say where we're currently missing the mark. Leaders and pastors are crashing and burning left and right, both in the business world and in the church. And leaders are burning out, maybe now, more than ever before in history. And hey, who is better to address that topic than Kerry Newhoff himself? Make sure you hang in there for part two of this episode. We're going to do what we do every episode, debrief and discuss and even debate this conversation on burnout. And it actually gets a little bit into innovation in our changing world as well. We're going to have our regular lineup of friends at the kitchen table, Derek Puckett, Lena Abujamra, and Ron Zappi and myself. Hey, Kerry Newhoff is a former lawyer turned pastor. He founded Connexus Church in Ontario, Canada. He's the author of several best-selling books, including his latest, Didn't See It Coming. And he's a speaker to leaders around the world about leadership change and personal growth. The Kerry Newhoff Leadership Podcast, it's a must-listen. I personally listen to just about every episode. It's reaching millions of people who are tuning in. And hey, you should too. So for now, here's Ron Zappia's conversation with Kerry Newhoff on Leadership Burnout. Kerry, thanks so much for joining us today. I know we've got uh, you know several mutual friends, but this is the first time we've met, and so it's great to just get to know you and, and meet you personally. I mean, uh, I know all about you uh, being up there in Canada, but uh, but yeah. it's great to finally meet you. Great to meet you too, Ron, and thanks so much for having me. It's an it's an honor to be on with you. Well, I'm uh, you know for those of you who don't know, which I'm sure aren't many. You're a former lawyer, uh, founded Connexus Church right outside of Toronto. Just a great uh, ministry opportunity out there. I've been, it's actually in Barrie. We joked about that a little bit. I've been to Barrie, so I know Yeah, exactly there's not a lot of people who can say that, so that's <laughs> yeah. that's impressive, Ron. That really is. I, I've been there. But, uh, you know, your leadership podcast, it's reaching so many leaders across the world, and, uh, you know, it's a staple for our team. We've really learned a lot from mm. you, and I've learned a lot from your podcast. So it's an honor, you know. You, you have uh, much you wisdom to share. But I, I want you to, I've heard you speak about this and you wrote about it in the book, but tell us about your vision that you had. Uh, go back a little at age 22 and you saw a preview of yourself, which is pretty cool uh, at age 44. <laughs> and I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I don't, I don't think you were look, looking like you liked it. It wasn't, was, it wasn't a nice picture. <laughs> yeah. No. What, what, tell us about though, how, how did that change the trajectory of your life? Well, that was the beginning of my call to ministry. So, um, yeah, what happened was I was working in a law firm. And since I was a little kid, I had wanted to be a lawyer. And I thought that's what I would do. And I grew up in a Christian home, gave my life to Christ. In my late teens, early 20s, I kind of drifted away from the faith like a lot of kids did, but not enough to probably kick me out of heaven. <laughs> Just enough to be, you know, disobedient and whatever <laughs> I needed to do to try to have, quote, fun. Uh, but then in my early 20s, recommitted my life to Christ. But to me, that like I, I hadn't ever thought of a call to ministry, like full-time vocational ministry, obviously. But I saw law as a ministry. So I was working between first and second year law school. I was working at a law firm in, in my hometown. And uh, I thought, this is what I'm going to do with my life. And uh, I was working one afternoon at 3 o'clock. Uh, I was in a partner's office. He was in court, so I took his office. And... 
um, I had this daydream and I, you probably have charismatic listeners and that's amazing. <laughs> right. Like I'm, I'm like a reformed Presbyterian. Yeah. Okay. So like the frozen chosen, we don't, right. we don't hear from God except what we see in the Bible and we believe in the gotcha. Holy Spirit. We, we just may not have experienced him a lot. So I'm not like one of those people that, and I mean, I have experienced the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm kind of joking, but um, you know, I'm not one of those people who hears from God every day or says, you know what, Ron, just God just gave me this vision. In fact, I'm, I'm, I'm normally the way I'm wired. I'm very suspicious of that. And I believe that does happen, but I think often it gets abused more than used. So when I tell you this story, please hear all those disclaimers, but yeah, it was around three o'clock in the afternoon. I was wrapping up work on a case and had this vision of myself and it was a daydream. I was wide awake, but I had a vision of myself. I was 24 and I saw myself at 44 and I was wildly successful as a lawyer and morally bankrupt. Like my marriage had fallen apart. I did not respect myself. I had compromised my value system. And it was like, it was almost like an instant, like it just flashed before my eyes. And then I'm like, wow, what was that? And I, I was like, I, I don't even know. This has never happened to me before. But it really kind of, it didn't shake me, but it, it like it totally got my attention. Didn't know what it meant. Left his office and went to the library of the firm. And the library of the firm had a bay window. And I'm literally looking out the window, reflecting and praying, like, what was that? And this is my hometown. So I can look to the right down First Street and I could see the church that my family had attended for the last decade and a half. So it's my home church. But the only part of the church that was visible was the pastor's study. And I felt a prompting. I heard a voice, not an audible wow. voice, but it was a yeah. voice. And it was like, you should be in there. And I'm like, no what? And I'm like, in, in the pastor's study? Like, are you kidding me? And I didn't say a word. <laughs> Wow. But I was like, oh, this is like the weirdest day of my life. So I was dating my now wife at the time. We were engaged and we were going back to my parents' place for dinner. And I picked her up. She was working at a pharmacy. She's a lawyer slash pharmacist. So she was working at a pharmacy at the time. And we're driving back to my parents' place. I didn't say a word to her. Out of the blue, I've known her for almost a year. She leans over to me and she goes, have you ever thought about going into ministry? And I'm like, you'll never guess what happened to me at the office today. Oh my, wow. So that was that was what happened to me when I was 24. And being a good Calvinist reformed, like, <laughs> you know, uptight guy, I didn't believe any of that was from God, but it kept being confirmed over. And like, I believed it was from God, but I was very suspicious. And so multiple times over multiple years, I kept saying like, I'm going to do this if you want me to, but like, I don't think this is me. And um Anyway, finished law school, got called to the bar, resigned, went into seminary, uh, worked for a year in downtown Toronto in law, which I loved. I absolutely loved it. I, part of me, I don't really feel like, oh, I wish I was a lawyer. Like, I think I'm doing what God called me to do. But like, I think that could have been a fun, fun path. Wow. Well, you know what? It's funny when you say, when you share your story, and I've heard you say it before, the interesting thing was, so I became a Christian at age 27. And it was uh -huh. through, a, you know, a, a real crisis, difficulty in our marriage, all that. So Jody and I, both of us get saved, my wife and I, at the same time, same meeting, all that. And then we started helping couples who were going through marriage crisis and difficulty. And, you know, just yeah. as a volunteer. And so for me, I was in the business world, you know, uh, in sales at the time. And, and it was a meeting that I had with a guy who was probably similar to what you're saying. It was like this guy was in his late 40s. 
and early 50s, and he was talking about, you know, how he wished he would have 20 years prior gone into ministry. No and way. That, yeah. <laughs> so it's funny. I'm on the other end of it. So that just scared the daylights out of me because I didn't even tell anybody that I was thinking about that. And so I saw him as me. And I'm like, man, I don't, you know, so I was like, I'm going to do whatever I can do to not regret, you know, what, uh, sitting 20 years later and sitting in that place. So there's a lot of areas I want to hit, but I just want to kind of hit on this for a moment. Um, you know, as we're recording, um, you know, we're dealing with COVID. And so yeah. I want to take the opportunity to get your wise counsel as we think about this. You know, what are your current thoughts on innovation and what leaders need to grasp if they're going to prepare for what organizational leadership is going to look like five years from now in the midst of, you know, this pandemic? I'm a little bit of an outlier on this, but I'll share what I honestly believe. Um, I think this is a pretty big disruption in human history. So before I did lie, I have a four-year degree in history and political science. And so I just enjoy it. I read books like 1776 for fun. Um, you know, like, like I got, I got leadership in turbulent times behind me and that's just recreation for me. So I enjoy studying history. And I, re I really think that, you know, centuries from now, if the Lord doesn't come back and we're still around as a species, um, people are going to look back on this moment in time and talk about it. Not just the pandemic, but like, let, let, let's go pre-pandemic. Okay. So to really, to really frame this up, like, look at, look at who would have predicted the demise of the taxi industry and the rise of Uber and this whole ride share or Airbnb in the hotel industry. There's been so much disruption. Digital photography took Kodak under, et cetera. So there's been so much disruption that's happening in, in the world. And I think crisis is an accelerator. And a lot of trends that were started have now been accelerated. So for example, work from home, right? Uh, I was looking at a podcast, um, Dropbox has just decided they're going to scale down their headquarters. And, and this is so funny, like a lot of the big tech companies, like Facebook, for example, or Dropbox or Twitter, even though they were a virtual company, so to speak, their workforce was in person. Well, all that's changing. And they are like downsizing their square footage, doing a distributed workforce, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I think we're going to see a lot of things move home. And for church leaders, I think we're going to see church move home. Uh, I don't know whether your church is open right now or not for gathered worship, is it? Are you yeah. seeing like a massive return to church or what most no, churches so, are seeing? What are you seeing? Yeah, I mean, we started back up in September. And obviously, you know, just like everybody else, as we're talking to people, you know, we're, it's not massive. I, you know, I said it at the front end. I was like, hey, people are not going to come back. You know, people want to come back to what they left. And what we have right now isn't what they left. And so, you know, yeah. I mean, our numbers are decent, you know, 45, 50%. But let's face it, you know, it, there's, it, it's, you know, the online presence is, you know, obviously strong. Um, but but things are changing, as you said. I, I really like what yeah. you said. And, and nobody, and I appreciate you saying that. Like nobody woke up, you know, January 1st and said, here's what we're going to shoot for. 50% of what we used to have, right? That was not a goal on anyone's radar screen. Right. And yet, you know, you're probably on the high side of what a lot of leaders are seeing. So the question is, what is underneath that? Is it masks? Is it, you know, and as you say, they want to return to what they left. We all want to return to what we left. So what I do see devolving, though, is people now have either uh, months of disengaging or months of virtual worship. And I think the church in the future will be distributed 
in the same way that companies are moving to a distributed workforce, I think more and more like the, this idea of micro gathering, I think is really interesting. So let's say the, the, the era emerges where you can gather in homes safely and there's a vaccine and we're in a post pandemic world. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if you have hundreds or thousands in your building, um, you know, and maybe it's a few less than, than we're there before COVID hit. And maybe after five years, it's even more. But I think the majority of your church will probably be meeting offsite and they will be watching solo online or they'll be gathering this idea of a micro church. Like, would, would I be better at reaching my neighbors by trying to convince them to do a 20 minute drive to a central facility or a set time? Or am I probably better equipped to reach my neighbors if you will help me do that, where we can gather in my backyard for a bonfire or a barbecue or in my living room or family room and we can sit down and watch a message and, and you know, introduce them to Christianity. That's what I think I'm really, I, I think the trend will be because work has moved home, fitness has moved home. Um, and then schools pivoted home a little bit. Food, like I think takeout will be a lot bigger in the future. So long after there's a vaccine, people have adjusted to a new way of living. And there'll be some green light people who are like, the whole thing's a hoax. I'm just going to go wherever I want, wherever I want without a mask. you know. And they're, they're like, they're good to go and they're going to regather. Then there's some yellow light people who are like, yeah, I'm going to be a little more cautious. It'll be a while before I cram into an overcrowded room with a whole bunch of strangers. And then there are red light people who are like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to live very differently and I'm, I'm not going to re-engage. And I think the church needs to minister to all of them. So um, we have defined attendance to this date as in-person attendance inside a central facility. I think we will redefine attendance around micro gatherings and distributed gatherings, as well as in person, as well as online, and I think we'll have a bigger reach as a result. Say, hey, say, Carrie, say that again, because wealth of wisdom coming out. Say that again about the in person, because really we know the metrics yeah. are changing, the scorecards changing. So it is just for the pastors that are listening, and the ministry leaders, elders, other people. Well, uh, define that again, the way you said it. Yeah. So, so think about how we've done church until now. It's like attendance counts if you're in the building at a set time. So 9 a.m. service, 10.30 service, Saturday night service, Sunday afternoon service, whatever. We count you if you're in the building. And if you're not, then you're just kind of lost to us. And I think we will redefine what attendance means. And there'll definitely be people in the building. Maybe it's 40%, 50%, 80% of what it used to be. I don't know. Maybe it's 100% of what it used to be. But I think in the future, if you start to think about staffing, equipping, resourcing me, in my backyard to reach my neighbors. And there's five of us gathered here, but then at your house, there's 10 people gathered and someone else's house. Those, that's the idea of micro gathering or micro church. And so what you might do is you might end up instead of having three locations or one location or four locations, you might have 40 or 400. And so, you know, and now you've got a discipleship pastor who's in charge of micro gatherings and they become the facilitator for dozens of those across the city or across the region or beyond the region. Because, you know, the thing that the internet broke was location independence. Here you are in Chicago, right. here right. I am in Toronto, and we're having a great real-time conversation yeah. with zero lag. So suddenly we can be connected in a way and it becomes like church becomes an affinity thing as much as a geography thing. 
And so I think we're going to be reimagining how we staff that, how we equip that, how we resource that, how we come alongside people. If we play the zero-sum game of the only way you can really engage with my church is if you get in this facility at this time, we are creating barriers that don't need to be there. Yeah, that's really, really powerful. I mean, let's face it, the, the scorecard has changed. Um, I know you wrote about it in your book. You kind of asked an interesting question. What if leaders started thinking of themselves as digital organizations with a physical presence in the church instead of physical organizations with a digital presence? And I, I thought that yes. was extremely enlightening. Crisis, you know, as you've defined it, is really the the way to expediate this change. That's what's 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 already happening. I've heard you talk about the church's resistance to change. So this let's just get into that for a moment because that you yeah. know the church is 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 it can be Kodak. And and I know mm-hmm. change is painful, change is difficult. You know, all of us, um, none of us love it. Why is it so hard in the church, and and how can we overcome it? I think we confuse sometimes our methodology with our theology. So I would tend to be a little bit more on the conservative theological side. You know, believe Jesus is who He said He was, and the Bible is the inspired Word of God, and that prayer is a real thing, not not just, you know, and I believe in the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So I'd probably be a little more conservative theologically. Um, and maybe many of your listeners are, but I think methodologically we're way too conservative. And what happens is we confuse the methods with the mission. And often our methods will get in the way of the mission. So, you know, you think about when I, when I started ministry in the 90s, these little churches I came to, they were part of a mainline denomination. Their methodology was stuck in the 1940s, 50s, 60s. I mean, the songs were decades old. The style of worship was really, it was just bad. It was like, it wasn't even good music. It wasn't good traditional music. It was just bad traditional music. And so we updated the methodology and we gave new life to the mission. So like a lot of churches in the 90s and 2000s, we, you know, replaced the organ and choir with a band. And we uh, started preaching in a, in a way that connected with people better culturally. But I think the church is kind of frozen again. And there's, you know, what Tony Morgan calls the new traditional church. And the new traditional church is three songs and a message, three songs and a message. And I think, you know, and hey, I, I founded a church, Connexus Church, that does, guess what? Three songs and a message, three songs and a message. So I think this is an invitation for us to, to really think more comprehensively. Like if you really want to advance your mission, you can't keep preserving the methods that don't work. And what you end up doing is you end up manufacturing energy to say, well, we only have 40, 50% of the people in the room. So all your energy goes into getting that back to 100%. And then you're at zero. You're where, right where you started at the beginning. Well, I think a different mindset is, okay, the room is going to be a part of what we do in the future. And, and let's be honest, you know, Ron, pastors get addicted to full rooms. I get addicted to a full room. I hate empty seats. Um, not a fan. But, but what if we just said, and this is, you know, I've run a digital communications company now for five years and, you know, I have a podcast and we have the privilege of reaching hundreds of thousands of leaders a month. And, you know, I never see one of them, particularly now, because I'm not on airplanes anymore. I don't even bump into them at events or conferences where I'm speaking. And, and, but that's like real stuff that's happening. Like we'd never met before, but somehow 
our paths connected. And if you get, if you get okay with that, we're like, maybe I'll never meet some of these people. Maybe someone else is going to baptize them or maybe they'll never come to my facility, but we get the chance to do ministry and be on mission together. If you'll reinvent your methods, you'll actually preserve your mission. Yeah, that's really good. Reinvent your methods. And man, the church can have a tendency to, to really stay you know, and not be innovative. And, and that's, the, that's the caution flag. Well, I want to do this. I want to pivot to health and leadership, uh, character. Uh, some of the things you wrote about in the book, uh, you know, didn't see it coming. Excellent resource. I've heard you. you quote the phrase, um, I want the people who know me the best to love me the most. And I, I don't know if you coined that or somebody said that. And I, I think you mean when, when I'm off the stage and behind closed doors, the people that really know me, you know, they know who I am. They know me by my integrity. They um, respect me for the choices that I, I do make and, and the character that I do have. Talk to us a little bit about the characters of leaders, especially its value in light of so many pastors. You know, if we're honest, I mean, we're seeing it. You know, it happens and continues to happen. Big churches, small churches too. I want to be the first to say that. It's not just a mega church pastor problem, but disqualification in ministry. Uh, over the past decade, but what is the competency character balance that you've eloquently written about? Yeah, I don't know where I got that phrase from. I thought it was Andy Stanley, but Andy says it wasn't him. So I don't know, okay. some mystery, <laughs> hey, mystery I'll give it to person. You. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to give it to you then. You, you, okay, yours. the people closest to you should be the people most grateful for you. Yeah. And, uh, and or I, the way I, I probably, the book came out a couple of years ago, I probably would even phrase it now. I want the people closest to me to have the best experience of me. So, and that hasn't always been true in my life. You know, um, it's pretty easy when you lead a larger ministry as, as we have, as you have, um, for the person in the back row to go, wow, that's an incredible communicator. I love following that leader. Meanwhile, you just chewed out your staff and yelled at your assistant and you went home and you're like super grumpy. And uh, the people closest to you, the people who really know you don't have a good experience of you. And there were times in my 30s where that was just way too true for my comfort. And I realized at the end of the day, you know, Gordon McDonald would phrase it this way, like, who are the people who are going to be at your funeral? Those should be the people, and, and carrying your casket, okay, or your urn or whatever. Those are the people that you should be investing the most time with. And so my wife did not have the best experience of me. My kids didn't always have the best experience of me. And so I, I just have worked really hard over the last 20 years. And I think in, in the scripture, they call it sanctification to say, no, I want the people closest to me, my assistant, my staff, uh, people who, who the crowd will never know their name, but I want them to have the best experience of me. I want my wife to be like genuinely glad when I'm home and to have a positive experience. And that, that really gets down to my character, right? Because what happens is, you can be really nice when you're on stage, but then you get off stage and, you know, people are just, people have a bad experience of you because you let your hair down or you had a rough day and you just are, are angry with people. And I'm like, that's not the experience I want my kids to have of me, my wife, my assistant, my staff, my team. And, and does it really matter if a guy in California thinks you're awesome if your wife right. hates you? <laughs> right. I don't think so. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm like, I'm happy if a guy in California thinks I'm a good leader or helpful or whatever, but I, I want to be way more concerned about how the people I know in real life have an experience of me because that actually reflects on Jesus. That's not about me, but if I claim to be a Christian and if the Christians and the non-Christians around me 
have a bad experience. And, and, you know, the other thing I would say, Ron, is your family is not impressed with your success. I've done a lot of funerals in my day. I've never seen a son show up to his dad's funeral carrying his dad's resume. Yeah. You know, I've never, I've never had a 28 year old say, you know, you should have seen my dad's last quarter. Like he doesn't care. He doesn't care how many downloads my podcast have. My kids don't care. I mean, they do, but they don't. What they care about is dad, did you have time for me? Dad, did you listen to me? Dad, do you love me? Do you care about me? And so I want my life to be defined more about who I'm becoming than what I'm doing. Yeah, that's good. That's really, really good. Well, this podcast is all about topics, again, where the church missed the mark, and we're not saying we got it figured out at our church, that is for sure, but um, we're here because we're looking to grow and learn and engage our culture biblically, and so I want to focus um, our remaining time on leadership burnout, and you know, yeah. you liken burnout to falling off a cliff. I mean, you've been really open in your book, you know, just, you know, you wear your own story on your sleeve as far as, you know, your own personal experience with this topic. I mean, you know, we, we could talk for a bit. I mean, I, I honestly trying to even assess my own situation, been in ministry, we just celebrated 20 years. And it's like, man, I, I, I can Congrats. look at a couple things where, man, I was down in the dumps and nobody else knew it, you know what I mean? And, but, yeah. but I could certainly uh, feel it. And so in your book, you know, you wrote about, you know, you didn't see it coming and, and how burnout kind of plays a part in that. Yeah. So I covered seven issues. We've touched on pride a little bit, character, right, versus competency, cynicism, emptiness, and there's a few others. But those were the things that after uh, over two decades in ministry, I saw them nipping at my heels. And they were issues a lot of people didn't talk about. People, you know, we're all pretty motivated to become better at what we do, or I'm going to be a better speaker. I'm going to be a better leader. I'm going to lead my team. Lots of resources out there, but it's these character issues, these heart issues that that I, I realized, oh, these are the things that could take me under. And I also saw a lot of leaders who fell. We've hinted at it already. Like what's underneath that? I think a lot of these seven issues and uh, are under that. So, but but burnout was a really big thing that I did not see coming in my life. So I'd been in leadership about 11 years in our church, and we'd gone from that handful of people to a rapidly growing church. And we'd seen God just do amazing things, lots of baptisms, lots of new um, new people coming to faith. And, and we became the fastest growing church in our denomination in the country, one of the largest in our denomination in the country. And I didn't know how to keep up with the growth. In addition to that, uh, I had some emotional, spiritual things I was working on. Our marriage was not in a good place. My marriage was not in a good place. And um, on the outside, it was very successful. It was almost that picture that we started the podcast with of me at 44, except I wasn't in law, I was in ministry. And I wasn't fully bankrupt. Like there wasn't some secret thing going on that would have made a headline. But I was kind of imploding because leadership was just like, I didn't know how to, how to keep up. I, I didn't know how to respond to all the growth. And I was exhausted. And when you're tired, you make, you know, you're just not a good human. And so that was me. But I thought I could handle it. And people kept telling me in my 30s, hey, Carrie, one day you're going to burn out. And I'm like, nope, not me. Weaklings do that. And then one day I did. And I went into a few months of like probably what would be classified as clinical depression. Uh, I lost all my motivation, not just for ministry, but for everything, for like family, for life, for getting up in the morning. I got up every morning, but like the passion was gone, which is really 
that was new territory for me because I'm a passionate person. And I was generally an optimist, but I had become very cynical. And so it was, it was super confusing. And by the grace of God, you know, I didn't do anything stupid. I didn't quit my job, didn't have an affair, um, didn't buy a sports car, right? Although right, that would yeah. be fun <laughs> one day. Um, but I, 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 you know, so, so I kind of hung in there, but like I was a shell of a human. And, and I, I thought it was over. I thought that's it. And, and at its worst, it got suicidal. Um, there was a period in August of 2006 where I thought the only way through this was, was out, like to escape. And we've seen that become, uh, you know, take under a number of ministry leaders. And um, somehow, by the grace of God, I, I kept going. I didn't listen to the negative voices. A little flicker of passion returned. I never left my job. I kept going. I never lost my faith either. I just couldn't feel it. But after about six months to a year, I was probably back at 70%-ish. But on the inside, I was still hollowed out. And then spent three to five years trying to reconstruct my life and figure out how, how can I not get back to this place again? Because I had seen people who had burned out and then they took a sabbatical, they got better. But then they were burned out again a year later. And I'm like, well, what if this is the rest of my life? And so that's what I've kind of devoted a lot of my life to. And, and increasingly, what I'm helping leaders with is, is getting out of burnout or staying out of burnout. I'm not a counselor. Uh, but, I, you know, the principle that's probably helped me the most, and this is what I talk about and didn't see it coming, is live in a way today that will help you thrive tomorrow. And I was not doing that in my first decade in leadership. I was not getting enough sleep, diet, exercise. I wasn't processing emotionally. I wasn't grieving my losses. I wasn't, I wasn't delegating to the team. I mean, there were just so many mistakes I made that, that were kind of rookie mistakes, but also ego and also growth that I didn't know how to scale. And so I've been pretty relentlessly committed to figuring out what do I need to do today that will help me thrive tomorrow. And that gets down to like getting enough sleep every night, um, eating better, exercising, um, learning how to say no so that my day isn't completely overwhelmed. Um, knowing, knowing how to show up to an interview like this prepared rather than, <laughs> oh, one more thing. Like, okay, yeah. okay, where right. are we? Where right. are we? Yeah. Right, like a lot of people. And, and so ironically, I'm probably better rested and more emotionally healthy than I ever was 15 years ago, but I'm leading like 10x what I led then. So, so it's weird. So it's, it's learning how to manage your time, energy, and priorities and, and getting them working in your favor. So, you know, we've got a lot of people that are listening outside of ministry, maybe, you know, for all the type A driven leaders like yourself, attorney, went to ministry, you know, same passion, same drive, want to be successful, want to see things happen. Uh, in ministry, we say, well, it's got to be called fruitfulness, but we know we just, man, we want to make our lives count. We want to make things happen. And so for those of us listening, because for me, I can think about some of the signs, even reading through your book, it helped me kind of process um, a few periods where I think you said it interestingly, you know, it used to be like, well, you're weak. So just jump over it, like get over this, yeah, like, yeah. you know, the emotional pain and scars. And, and so what are some of the indicators on the dashboard? You kind of set them, but just to slow down for mm -hmm. the guy or the girl who's listening right now and, and kind of pushing through, what are some of those signals 
that, that we need to catch? Yeah, I listed 11 and I won't go through all 11, but if, if, if you're starting to register with most of them, um, then you need to take action immediately. If you got one or two, it's like, well, welcome to life, you know, on this side of heaven, it's not perfect. But so just some signs. These are the things I've noticed in my life. Uh, when I burned out, for sure, I was 11 for 11. Um, and, you know, some days you're two for 11 or whatever, and that's just normal. But one big one is like your passion's gone. And you're not just not passionate about work anymore, but you've lost your passion for your family, for the stuff like maybe going out to eat or, you know, it's just like, oh, it's almost like this general malaise or depression has come over. So that's a, that's a big flag. Another one is sleep and rest no longer refuel you. So what should happen with sleep and with rest and like vacation downtime is there should be a cause and effect. In other words, I got eight hours sleep, therefore I should feel better the next day. And I found that when I was burned out, um, I, it didn't matter how much I slept, I just didn't feel any better. Another thing is really pay attention to your emotions. And one of two things, or sometimes both things happen with your emotions. One is you feel nothing anymore. You're just numb. And so somebody has a baby and you're like, awesome, but you don't feel it. Like you're just saying that, but you don't feel it. Or someone dies and you don't, you don't feel it. You just don't feel it. Like you, you're polite enough to go through the motions, but like on the inside, you're numb. So that's one response. And then sometimes either or, or perhaps the, at the same time, your emotions can be completely disproportionate. So, you know, your 10-year-old your <laughs> was supposed to cut the lawn and he didn't. And you just like nuclear meltdown level. <laughs> Wait a minute. That was a three out of 10 problem. You do not need a 12 out of 10 response right. or your spouse says something or your assistant misses something and you're just like nuclear meltdown on them. Like your, your reaction should be proportionate to the problem. Here's another little, little um, sign. And that is you don't laugh anymore. Right. Like I noticed that when I, when I was depressed, the summer I was depressed, it started in May of 2006. And I think it was maybe September. I'm, I'm going back to my house. I'm driving up the highway. I got the radio on and there was something funny on the radio. I don't even remember what it was. And I like laughed out loud and I caught myself because I thought, I don't think I've laughed out loud in four months. Like nothing was funny anymore. Now, normally what happens is, right, in normal life, like if something's funny, you laugh. Yeah, if something's right. sad, you cry. Sure. If something's kind of like, oh, you know, that you feel those things. I hadn't laughed in a long time. And I think there are varying degrees of burnout. Like I was 11 for 11 on all signs. But I think there's a lot of people who live in the middle. And I call it low-grade burnout or mid-grade burnout. And... um the, the, def, the working definition I have, it's not a medical definition, it's just a cultural definition, is that the functions of life continue, but the joy of life is gone. You can do your job, you can empty the dishwasher, you can be a spouse, you can be a parent. The functions continue, but the joy of life is gone. And I just want to say to anybody who's feeling that way right now, you don't need to live that way. My next book, which will be out in September of 2021, is all about creating the rhythms that will get you out of burnout or keep you out of burnout. And uh, so I'm excited for that, but that's going to be a few months down the road. Yeah, that sounds great, man. Well, Carrie, what is your theory on why Christian leaders may faithfully care for their flock, but, you know, make these unhealthy choices in their own lives? Um, I think one mistake we make is that we think time off will heal us. 
Um, time off won't heal you if the problem is how you spend your time on. And for most of us, we spend our time on, and I did for years and still on my bad days, I still do. I don't spend it wisely. I overcommit. I, I'm overwhelmed. I'm overcommitted. I'm overworked. And uh, I don't care. Like a month off in the Mediterranean with right. no COVID <laughs> is not going to solve that. You might have right. the best month of your life, but you're right. going to come back to this like stupid hamster wheel you created called life where you got no margin and like, that's going to take you under. But, but with ministry, I found ministry way more complicated than law. Now law is very intellectually demanding, but I didn't have any identity confusion. I worked as a lawyer, but I wasn't a lawyer. Like cut me open. I'm not a lawyer. I'm Carrie. I'm a Christian. Um, I love my wife, Tony. I love my family. Like that's who I am on the inside. But the problem is ministry fuses your identity, what you believe, with what you do, with who you serve, right? So all of a sudden, like when I was when I was at law, I didn't hang out with lawyers day and night. Like we saw a few socially and that kind of thing, but like I had other friends. And then all of a sudden you get into this fishbowl of ministry and all of your friends are people who either go to your church or you hope one day will go to your church. And you're in this place where what you do is the same as who you are. It's not, but that's how it gets fused. And, and your friends are all the people that you're either serving or trying to reach. And it gets deeply, deeply confusing. And so years ago, I started asking questions. And this is how I pray and how I structure my devotional life is like, okay, if, if you quit ministry today, what would be left of your faith? It's a very powerful question. What friends would you still have? Who would be your friends if you're not in ministry? Um, I, I adopted the one-year reading plan long before version came along because I realized that I was probably going to cheat um, and yeah. just, you know, if I'm <laughs> preaching on Romans, maybe I should read Romans. <laughs> right. So I, I decided that I wasn't going to do that. But it's been really good because, you know, I am at the end of a succession period at Connexus. And like, I got my Bible reading plan together. I've read the Bible right. more as a Christian than as a pastor for the last 25 wow, years. That's great. And you got to separate those yeah, that identity totally. out. Wow, that's good. I, I haven't heard it explained like that. I'm really uh, looking forward to hearing more about that. I know we've covered a lot of ground today, Kerry. Uh, we're excited about the project that you got coming up uh, in 2021, The Rhythms. We'll look for that. And uh, tell our listeners how, uh, how else they can find you and connect with you online. Well, uh, my name is Kerry Newhoff. So if you go to kerrynewhoff.com, nobody can spell it. That's <laughs> what we're Dutch going. Dutch and confusing. <laughs> uh, if you butcher it, you'll probably still find me. Or here's what we did. Uh, we use a tagline, lead like never before. You go to leadlikeneverbefore.com, you'll find all the stuff right there. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for spending some time with us, taking time out of your busy schedule. And I uh, appreciate your ministry and uh, just uh, how you see things and helping us to, to get the most and make the most out of ourselves as we try to do ministry in this crazy time and season. Thanks so much, Gary. Thanks for all you do. Thank you, Ron. Thanks for having me. That was Carrie Newhoff talking about leaders who seem to be crashing and burning. And we took some interesting twists and turns there about innovation, disruption, what the future of leadership is going to look like. And as always, we take things back to the kitchen table with our usual suspects to unpack this much needed conversation. 
Well, that was the part of our conversation where we bring it back to the table, where we pull up the chairs and where we talk and where we debrief and at times where we debate. And I'm joined again by Derek Puckett, pastor of Renewal Church in Chicago, Lena Abu-Jamra, Living with Power Ministries, and Ron Zappia of High Point Church. Hey, if this content is helpful to you, would you do two things? Would you subscribe so that you have every episode whenever they drop and leave a review? Leaving a review is really helpful so that more people can access these conversations with incredible guests, just like today's Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, it was great to have uh, Carrie on the podcast. And, uh, you know, before we get to to burnout, he actually spent quite a bit of time talking about kind of innovation in the church yeah. and COVID and where's this leading us. And he made some pretty, you know, I, I don't know where we all stand. We're all coming from different ministries here, but he made some pretty definitive, like, this is disruption. Uh, this is strong disruption. This is not just a season and we're going back to something. It's going to change everything. I feel like that's what kind of Kerry does in a good yeah. way. He kind of, you know, just forecasts out what he think will, will happen or maybe the extreme version of it. So I'm curious, what's your perspective on where we're currently at? Uh, you know, I don't think any of us would have thought almost a year ago now we'd still be sitting in this situation with, with COVID. What do you think about disruption? How far is it going to go? I feel disrupted. <laughs> is, that, is that a personal thing That's that you want to talk about? Or, yeah. But I do think, I mean, you know, everyone says it like this, you know, COVID didn't bring the change, but it certainly accelerated the change. I think the question is, how much change? And and is it going to is it gonna bring? Yeah. What do you think, Lena? Or Derek, yeah. sure. I, I'm with you, Ron. I, I think that there is a, I definitely think there is some disruption. And I don't, I don't think it's all bad disruption, too. I think, you know, the church for quite a while, and this is not all the churches, but we, we kind of hadn't gotten off, uh, I would say, the mission of what God calls us to do and make disciples. We were so so Sunday-driven that, you know, we miss sometimes the core elements of what he's called us to do. And so I'm not going to say that we're going fully to the micro-church method, like he said, in the, in the time, but right. I do think that there's this call back to the essentials of what are we called to do? and make disciples. At the church for so long, we've kind of been behind um, in how we adjust with what's going on in culture. And I, I just, I'm a firm believer and I, I would love to see the church drive culture a little bit more. Yeah. And Jesus was countercultural, and I think we can do that. So whatever that looks like, I think he's hitting on some points that we need to figure out what that looks like. I don't, I'm not going to necessarily, I say I ascribe to exactly what he's saying, uh, but because I, I do think if you're going to be online, it's a good place to start. Um, I think we want to see incarnational ministry still see you in groups or fellowshipping with one another in church, um, whether it's on Sunday or throughout the week. But we'll see. I think there are going to be some people that are going to snap back and just be like, all right, we're back to normal. And the reality is we're not back to normal. So we're going to have to figure out this disruption as we go forward. You know, I just read this article that said that uh, a third of Americans, they, um, one out of three Americans say the COVID-19 pandemic and has made their religious faith stronger. Hmm. So that's a, you know what I mean? Like, so what, what do you think of that? I mean, that's. I can't, I don't know. I, I, 
I hate it when people make predictions because, again, it's about church. And I, part of me resents it when I don't like what's being said, too. So I sort of think, well, what do you do? Like, I don't love Zoom church. I don't. I don't. Right. I just, I have a hard time with it. And, and I'm, again, my ministry is primarily online, but I just think there's something that lacks in that. And so, you know, it sort of feels like doom and gloom when I hear a pastor, like, yeah, only 50%. If you get 50%, yeah. man, you're in the top tier right now. That's awesome. And I think, man, I miss church. I miss big church worship. You know, I miss that. And whether or not we did it perfectly with the mega church, like, I am a crit- critic of the mega church. Like, I don't think everything that was done in the mega church was right. But th- I, you cannot deny that so many big right. spiritual experiences that I've had have happened in the context of conference and big church right. and movements and God, of God in those settings. And so it depresses me sometimes. I mean, like, well, you're going to be doomed mm. to home church the rest of your life. And I think, geez, <laughs> really? Like, I, I mean, I don't want that. I want, you know, I'll go to a small group, but I mean, I, I just, it bugs me when people start saying that because then I go, ugh. Oh, I love Jesus, but yeah, you know, I, I don't know if I want to be that, you know, for, I mean, it's, I don't know, I don't know what to do with I, it. I, I think it's cracked open, like it's exposed a lot. And that could be a whole nother podcast. Yeah, <laughs> what that's is, true. What that's is podcast yeah. Yeah. or what is the pandemic exposed, you know, from race and politics and certainly the church as, as well. But like, even just saying that, you know, it's like, man, 50% is great. You're like, so what does that even mean? Right. So, okay. So 50% of right. warm bodies in seat, like, what is the end game of what we are trying to do in worship? What right. is the end game of what we're trying to do in community? Like, it's, you know, it, the metrics, honestly, it, it kind of exposed all of us where you're like, you know, you yeah. go to, you know, meet with other pastors and like, how big is your church? And how right. many people did you baptize? And I'm not, it's great. Right. Like, I, I'm actually a fan of large church and, and um, I like the experience, to your yeah. point. Like, I like the, what you can do when you can experience hundreds of people together in a room and see, see God move. But I think how we do church what how we even define what church is yeah. is going to change um moving moving forward whether there's big full rooms of people or not which i do think there will be big full rooms of people again uh, i like your yeah. analogy of you know it's cracked open some things and I, I think we would be remiss if you know as a leader whether it's in church or in business or whatever like this is just cracked open some rethinking of innovation, you know, which yeah. is what we've talked about, we've got to think through things differently. So some people are stuck in the old, in the past, and what they liked and what this. Mm. Uh, other people are pushing too hard, pushing too fast. But I mean, I, I've sensed the need to reinvent myself. I've said this before as a, as a communicator, as a preacher. I, I mean, right. it's so different, you know, speaking in front of a camera right. versus of, you know, speaking it's in true. a live audience. And right. and I think it's for the better. I, I mean, honestly, I, I depend upon oh, yeah. on a live audience. You know, it's like you're in a, you're playing basketball, you're in the game, you're, 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 you're moving this right. way, you're going, you know, and it's just, it makes everything different. Oh, it exposes you. Yeah. I think, I think too, even just looking back on the things that we've hold, held so tight and I, I just wonder why yeah, the church, good. like we just have this pattern of, yeah. we hold things tight but it's only for like a generation or two until the next generation comes and kind of busts it out. So it's like it's what true. you wore to ch- church for a while. Right. And, oh, you yeah. can't wear that to church. And then it's what the music style right. is. And you can't, you know, you can't do that. And then it's should there be lights or haze yeah. or whatever, you know, just all these peripheral things that actually I, I don't, don't think they're unimportant, but spiritually speaking, they're not that's significant to what is taking place. And now that this big, you know, debate of like online and is this real church and, you know, the, the, the gathered body. And, and I just think that there's going to be new ways 
to to think about what we're doing. With well, churches. and I think the only thing you I think you can sort of deduce from what's been happening is there. There's no question in my mind that there has been a divine purification yeah. of yes. church in the sense that you can tell right away the people who don't never cared about church they're not going to show right. up you know with one or the other and on and on but i have heard a lot of people say well people are still giving they're still showing up yeah. even to the zoom meetings and, and it's interesting it certainly is a time to sort of inwardly look at well, what why do i do what what i'm doing and and will i continue to honor the lord in that and the other certain thing is the church will never stop existing Christ church will abide forever. Yeah. And so I think knowing those two things, you sort of have to, again, just follow the leading of the Spirit. So Gary, of course, he's, yes. he's given, I mean, he does a lot, uh, you know, of interviews and, and, and opining on this in his own, you know, podcast. So it's, 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 I've enjoyed watching him make predictions, but there are times I want to throw something at the computer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Steve, Steve said something that was very interesting to me in terms about uh, church metrics. I think this is, if you look at Jesus and the way he walked through the scriptures and he would preach to thousands. And so you could say there was a, you could see a mega church, but they would leave after he'd say something they didn't like. And he was with 12 guys. Yeah. Um, there's no sense of metrics there, but he pours into these guys. And I've always had this, this rival within my soul when people, how many people did you <laughs> baptize? I'm like, does it, does it matter? Like, I mean, I, I know it matters, but like, yeah. is that your metric for saying our church is doing well? How many people have done stuff in the community? I'm thinking, like, what does discipleship look like? How are people living out uh, what Jesus has called us to do? To your point, Lena, there has been this kind of separating the wheat from the yeah. chaff, sovereign pruning of the church to where I think churches that were we're, we're holding firm to this disciple, whether you're a, la- a large mega church or a small church, you, you might have saw a little dip. But in certain instances, like our church and I'm not bragging, but we we went up, you know, our attendance went up and our giving has gone up. And I can only attribute it to the fact that there are people here that are saying, no, we, be- we we really believe that we need to disciple one another. We need to pour out our lives and step in and meet the needs and the gaps of where you know, that's what Christ is calling us to do. And so, and that's not all everyone's story, but I think that there, God is really doing something and he's mm. mixing up the water of Christianity in America, well, across the world too. And it's pulling the curtains back on the church yep. a little bit and, and saying, how are we going to go forward with this individually and corporately? So there is definitely disruption there. I, I think what you're saying is true in this, this way. I would say it like this. It's, a, it's exposing what you're really about, what's mm. really important to you, what is yeah. really supposed to be happening, the what and the how and the why. And so if... Yeah, Kerry said that we, we're often confusing our theology yeah. and our methodology. Yeah, That's totally. And, and I, That's you know, good. so what is the church? I mean, it is about discipleship. You know, whether you've got, you know, you're talking to one person or a thousand people, it, 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 at its core, we're called to disciple people. And I think that's going to look different in certain contexts. But I, I think that as long as, you know, we've been able to continue to disciple, and I'm happy to hear your church is growing, Derek. Um, and thanks for throwing it in there. You're not bragging. <laughs> He's anything. at 75%. <laughs> you know. And, uh, but no, but seriously, but I know you and I know your church, and the reason that's happening is because you haven't abandoned your mission. Right. You're just doing it differently. And so you're still right. discipling the people. And I think churches that aren't discipling people, and it, it, it's affecting differently. 
Well, hey, I, 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 we could go on and on about this, and uh, Carrie talked a lot about it. Uh, we, uh, we actually, the title of the podcast was on leadership burnout, and oh. then we kind of, we kind of got, got on this uh, innovation and church in, in COVID. So I, I wanna... feel burned out thinking about innovation. Yeah, right, <laughs> and COVID. <laughs> Uh, fair enough. But, uh, you know, this isn't a theoretical topic for yeah. Kerry, the burnout uh, conversation. He wrote it in his book, didn't right. see it coming. I mean, he had a crash and burn moment. He just shared right. that with us. But it seemed to me as I was listening that, like, so many episodes, I mean, we didn't we didn't set out, you know, to, to have these conversations about, like, anxiety and depression and now burnout. Like, that wasn't intentional, but it just seems like it naturally keeps – coming up and coming up in these different conversations. I'm just kind of curious, what, what's, it could be personal or, or other people, have you guys had experience you know, with somebody that's just kind of burned out or just kind of hit, hit that wall um, in, their, in their own work or family or ministry? Because like he says, it, I mean, it's really debilitating. I think there's so many yeah. people who have been public examples of burnout. Like, I mean, I'm sure we could sit and come up with a list, but I, I, I like his definition towards the end of the podcast of sort of this, because I think a lot of burnout doesn't have to be so dramatic. You don't have to like have a major breakdown and leave. I think there's a lot of people functioning right now in this sort of burnout mode. And, and I think it's like, you don't know, am I burnt out or am I just sick of COVID or what is this feeling? And I think he says it so well in that working definition. It's uh, He says it's a cult... Uh, uh, where life, the joy is gone. Yep. Life continues, but the joy is gone. Yep. And I, I thought that really hit a chord for me because it's like you're just going through emotions. And, and you might not initially identify that as burnout because you can go through emotions for years. And I think if you ignore it and keep plowing through, uh, which, by the way, I think some of this all, even beginning of our conversation here at the table, this, I don't even think it's just post-COVID or COVID. I think a lot of this is post-Christian culture. I think we're now in a new age of, of, of living in a culture that sort of doesn't have as its roots a Judeo-Christian sort of, you know, more to it. You know, it's, it's, and so I think in that, so now, yeah, you are seeing more depression, anxiety, weights, and burnout. And, and how do you now adjust to the Lord in that? And maybe burnout can be an invitation to the Lord. I, I, I think so, for yeah. sure. What, what, uh, Derek, what's your experience with this topic? I think it's, this is one that's really close to home for me. I've seen quite a few people that, um, you know, just just even in just being black in America, like there's just to take the hat off sometimes and really slow down when you feel like you're already ten steps behind is is a is a topic that's really hard to kind of broach with um, with folks like myself and, and many, even for you all too. But it's just I, I've seen a lot of guys my age and even younger that have burned out already in ministry um, because they've been put in positions uh, that are pretty high up, weren't ready for it. Character wasn't there, um, but they had the gifting and they just ran, 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 ran and never knew how to stop and slow down. I think one time when I first really experienced, I wasn't necessarily burned out. I just graduated from, um, and I didn't know how tired I was. I graduated from seminary and my wife and I, uh, a couple had paid for us to go to Mexico and we had two kids and I finished my master divinity in two years. I did it really quick. I didn't take any breaks, all, all the summer classes, everything. But when we got to Mexico, <laughs> she wanted to go out and be on the beach and this and that. And I, I just wanted to stay in the room. I didn't want to do anything. I was like, I don't want to see anybody. I don't want to talk to people. I can sit on this balcony and I can see the water. That's all I want to do. And, um, oh, and it was in that's that moment. Not, that's, <laughs> I got I to speak good, up on right? behalf of your wife. <laughs> Why did she go for that? <laughs> I, know, we, 
I eventually went out there and we hung out, but it was like, <laughs> I didn't know what was really going on with me. And, and we had a lot of conversations after that to where, what, what actually does it look like for me to, to refuel? What does it look like for me to get some silence and a break for me is not necessarily going to the beach. You know, my wife wants to go to the beach. <laughs> A break for me is going to a lake house or going to the woods and, and sitting and just being there and seeing nature and, and being able to check out for a moment and reconnect, if you want to say, with God. It's uh, and, and I've just now learned early on to try to put a lot of that in my life so I don't end up burned out like I've seen some. I've had friends that have been hospitalized uh, on depression medicine to this day. Um, and, and still have, they're still trying to figure out how do I cut off? And it's like, man, you, you almost died from this. Um, there's some, we need to make some changes. And so I've just tried my hardest and then bringing guys around me to really, um, they don't ask me, Derek, are you working hard? They ask me, Derek, are you resting? Are you, are you taking time? Have you played ball this week? And, you know, what's your time with Jesus look like? And those are the questions I need to ask. And I need to be asked They're just these heart level questions, because I'm probably not going to just flat out just tell you that this is where I'm at. If you just say, hey, how you doing? Right. Yeah. So that I need people to ask me those questions. Derek, I don't think I'm uh, forcing two topics together when I ask this. You can tell me if I am. But uh, I've talked to so many, you know, black pastors, African-American friends. And we talk about race and just everything that's happening, the pressure cooker that's in that, that have actually used the word like, man, I'm just I'm burnt out. I'm tired of my white pastor friends not calling me until there's an issue. And then all of a sudden they want me to come preach on the weekend or do something with them. Nobody's having the conversation between the news cycles. I'd just be interested to hear, you know, your perspective as I'm hearing, and I'm sure maybe you're hearing many uh, predominantly black churches kind of saying, I'm just kind of burnt out with predominantly white churches um, that really maybe aren't moving the needle. So if I'm honest, I think from, even from my perspective back when COVID first hit and we're looking at the disproportionate rates of black and brown neighborhoods and how um, we were dying due to COVID. And then you have George Floyd and everything that's happening. We, we participated in some protests here. And for myself, I, I was saying, man, I'm tired. I'm, I don't know if I have it in me to uh, talk to my white brothers and sisters about this anymore. I pastor a multi-ethnic church, but I'm like, look, if you can't get it by seeing what's going on right now and all the unrest and what's happening in our communities, then I, I think we need to start Googling. I think we need to start doing some research. Um, and, and to that end, there's, I, you know, there's still something within my, I know God has called me to cross the lines with my brothers and sisters. I think he's called all of us to do that, but I have seen brothers that are my good friends. They're like, I'm done with that, man. I'm going to be who I am. And, and hopefully they, they get it one day. It's not for me to do that. And, and I get it. I think black folks uh, in general are tired. We're tired of, you know, having to, uh, to, to live at a certain level, to be seen as acceptable in society by other folks. Um, every room I walk into as a black male, even in this room, I know that I'm walking into this room who I am and and I I'm going to put on a certain hat. Now, you guys are friends, but I'm going to put on a certain hat in rooms that I go into and I'm going to answer questions and be who I need to be in that room 
because sadly, I'm not accepted for just who I am and what I bring to the table. I got to have a master's degree. I, I need to have done this in society. I need to be seen as successful or my voice sometimes doesn't count. And I think you, you what you're seeing is folks are just tired of that. You're saying, nope, we're going to I'm going to focus on what I'm going to focus on here and I'm going to build up people the way we need to be built up here. And hopefully our brothers come around uh, to to turn that corner and get with us. And I have been encouraged a bit. I think that throughout the last year and I've seen some of my white brothers and sisters that have now stood on the front lines um, and said, no, we're not, that's wrong. We're going to stand up for, stand up against injustice. And then I think there's been some that have went the opposite way. Mm -hmm. When you see this polarizing election and everything that was happening and what I've been encouraged about with that now, I don't think everybody's doing this, but you've seen white brothers and sisters that would say, no, nope, that's not right. Now call out the, the individual that looks like them. And I'm saying that's, that's what it takes. So if I stand up and say something about, I don't want to say any pastor's names or anything, but if I say some things about some prominent figures in the Christian world that are saying things that are like, man, there's no way that that's right. Or, you know, we can't look at that and not say that that's, we can't not call out injustice. And, and that's where, when, when we start doing that without us having to tell people to do it, I think you start seeing the communities come together. You start seeing the, the church um, reconciliation happen, but the burnout man is real. It's a mental, emotional, spiritual um, effect. That's not just, because I'm working in ministry. It's like, I'm tired of having to put on this face for everybody else around me to be accepted. I I wanna throw a bit of a controversial thought and I I really, not about the racial issue as much as the burnout issue. And and a lot of like the conversation when people like Kerry and others talk about uh, burnout, I I thought I jotted this down, is burnout a luxury of the rich and privileged? I really think that, when, yeah. you know, I, I really do think that there's, yes, burnout, I'm aware of it, but how many people really who are burnt out right, like, can go like, I'm going to take a week off and go somewhere right. and get away, or, oh yeah, just a day a week, you know, I've heard pastors come and talk at conferences about burnout and their strategies take a few hours every week, and they're moms, single moms, and, and families, and, and I think where we're seeing the effect of burnout, so you describe sort of this apathy, detachment, Derek talks about, which is right. true, I've felt it in my life, that's how I deal with burnout, even Carrie talks about sort of detaching numbness, cynicism, those sort of words. I think if you start finding yourself on that, you know, negativity path, you have to think maybe I'm burnt out. But I think that's why we're seeing a lot of anger in our culture. I think we cope with it. Yeah. We can't, I can't leave my job. I'm stuck in this place. I can't leave COVID and burnt out. What does that look like for somebody who's making minimum wage or, or even better than minimum wage is killing themselves and not making ends meet? And so I think, you know, yeah. there is a part, you know, you kind of be like, you know, great for this pastor of a mega church. And you want to be, oh, you know, you can easily be like, Lena can talk about burnout. Look, right. she went and did, you know, retreat somewhere for what. And I, you know, and people I think need tangible uh, solutions, ways, hope. I think that's why we're, we go to Jesus. Come unto yeah. me all your are Because I think, yes, reality is burnout is real. But how do we bring that down so that everybody feels like, okay, now I've, I can do this. You bring up a really good point. I think that when COVID hit, for example, um, I lead a multi-ethnic church, but also lead this network called the Chicago Partnership. And on the board um, are my brothers, Charlie Dates and Watson Jones, pastor churches on the south side. When COVID hit, 
here I am sitting in our church where we have some people that are in need, but then we also have people that are just the worst thing that's happened to them is they got to stay at home. Mm. But then you look at Charlie Day's church or Watson and their folks are dying. People are, are really struggling in, in these neighborhoods. There wasn't like a, okay, we're going to step back and we got a, a season to rest a little bit, recalibrate. It's like, no, we have, we have to step into this, yeah. this moment in time because people are literally dying right now. Our people need us. It's not just I need to preach a sermon on Sunday. Now, every, this COVID's affecting everybody, but we saw it in disproportionate rates hitting these neighborhoods. I, I'm thinking, oh, man, I'm going to get my first true sabbatical this year, this summer. Right. And COVID hits and it's like, no, you're not. You're jumping in to the deep end and it's not going to just be preaching sermons. That's there. You got to figure out how to feed these people. They People don't have food right now. How do we do this? And and that's a whole different emotional, um, spiritual battle that, that has nothing to do with how I'm seen in my white brothers and sisters' eyes. This is, I need to meet the needs of the community. It's like Jesus seeing the 5,000 plus women. Like, I, I, they are hungry right now. The compassion, the luxury of feeling like, man, I can just, yeah. I can step back. That, that's not a luxury that's been felt. And, um, and even now, it's not a luxury and so there's the, am I present on social media? Am I with my people enough? Am I doing this? And it's, it's like, man, when is it going to stop? Uh, when, 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 when can I step back and just say, no, no, I, I'm good. And, and I don't know if people have ever really felt that, especially people of color, because there's always one other step up I can take or it feels like I needed to need to because of society. And so I just wanted to affirm what you were saying. And you put the words, that, that was great. That's the sovereign reality to, to think through that. How many people day in, day out are living in burnout? I mean, just right. totally burnt out. But that can't stop them from having right. to plug along and, and get through, right. through life. So he, he defines it. He, he has these seven warning signs uh, that he talks about. Maybe we can talk about these for a quick minute and how they, they impact people. But he talks about cynicism. That was a big one. I mean, he, t- he talked about that. Um, mm-hmm. and, but then compromise, disconnection, irrelevance, pride, burnout, and emptiness. And uh, I'm sure different people have different experiences. I'm sure some of those, Derek, are, uh, could all, maybe all of mm-hmm. them could be applied to everything that, that you just shared. But I, I, I'm so happy you shared that because I think, to Lena's point, we sometimes you hear the word burnout and you have one idea in your mind and you realize – there's another part of this, too, where people are burned out on certain topics yeah. that need to be talked about spiritually. They're burned out on like yeah. certain uh, compartments of the church that need to be addressed and aren't being addressed. And then those words run through them again, cynicism, compromise, disconnection, irrelevance, pride, burnout, emptiness. Like they're the, all the things that we end, up, we end up just kind of letting it go by the wayside when we need to mm. be actually addressing these things in the church, in relationship in family, in work, um, then rather than just saying, I'm burnt out on it, I'm done. Well, I got to say this. I'm just so thankful, Derek, for you just uh, sharing your heart with us. And I I just want to say I'm so thankful for you. Um, We need your voice. I need your voice in my life. Uh, I think the danger, and if I could just, man, it's such a sensitive topic. Uh, If I could just, you know, share my heart, because I think think we are in a relationship where we can do that. And for you to verbalize putting on different hats and, and, and you know, we don't have the fullness of what that looks like uh, in, in our lives. But I just want to encourage you and, and, and people that I know, um, 
black uh, African American pastors that you, you, I just would 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 just say please stay engaged, please stay mm-hmm. engaged with us, please yeah. please be um, active in yeah. in your listening because I've heard this and and honestly I, I don't know if I'm going to get myself in trouble here, but you know when you're just about sick and tired of saying something, people are finally getting it. And yeah. and that's the thing that I've been thinking about is you know even you know it, from the pulpit I say things I'm like and when I'm finally tired of saying this to my staff man they just finally are starting to get it and I just want to say we need voices like you to uh, because because I think there's people that are getting it and and and, yeah. and can mm-hmm. move forward and yeah. and so I just you know I, I just want to say that but but I I think returning back on uh, I love you man and I uh, just really care for you. Uh, Thanks, as, a, brother. as a person, and uh, you know, not because you're uh, so handsome as you are, not because you're a good basketball uh. player, not because <laughs> you're an awesome pastor who's running a multi-congregational church, and I mean, not because of any of those things, other than uh, you are a child of God, and 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 we are uh, we are brothers and sisters Amen. in His sight, Amen. all of Amen. us around this table. So, you know, but on this topic, you know, I've, I've been a little bit wondering to myself. I think I appreciated Kerry's um, straightforwardness in sharing his story, and I had heard it before about his burnout. Um, I, I gotta say, I, I mean, as a person who uh, kind of grew up trying to power up every over everything, put the load on my shoulders, man, I'll take the last shot. You know, I'll take the pressure. Just give it to me. Uh, this is a hard conversation for me. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I know when I first started in ministry, there's a couple friends of mine, and one of them uh, isn't here anymore. And I remember the first time I ever met him, he's a pastor of a large church in St. Louis, and he just, you know, first time I met him, he's like, I'm burned out, man. And, wow. uh, you know, and um, I, I've, I heard, I've heard people verbalize that. And, and I think that in some ways, you know, man, I'm not that I w- I'm think I'm going to power over it, but when I read this book and I look through those signs that you're going to talk about, Steve, that we've all, all mentioned a few of them. I just had to honestly look at it. Like, I've I've been there. That's <laughs> kind of how I feel. <laughs> Felt like that last month. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing satisfies you. You can't think straight. I, I mean, I, you know, I mean, I don't want to minimize or trivialize, but I but I think I've lived it. And and there's seasons where I'm like, man, where was I? And I appreciated the conversation, not to normalize burnout. But to understand that we all can experience it and different aspects of it in different ways. And so I don't know if, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm pretty good on certain topics. I, I don't know if I'm that great on this one. You know, I, I just don't, yeah. you know, I think I, think I can yeah. pretty much, you know, run through a wall. And, and that's half the battle in this conversation. Are you amazed, like, that, yeah. I mean, that people, like, I was just thinking, my mind went to scripture a bit, just thinking about some examples. How did people, like, I can't think of an, ex- I'm trying to think through the writings of Paul. Did he ever burn yeah, out? Like, yeah. there are some, I mean, yeah. so interesting, because <laughs> the assumption in the U.S. is we're all going to burn out yeah. at some point, and yet right. there are, you know, there may be others, you know, Jeremiah hit a wall, you know, but Paul, like, how did he maintain that ability to live through what he did, and really doesn't seem to ever have gone there. It's so fascinating, it's fascinating to me. Question. I don't know. He was going off on those Corinthians, though. I think he was a little burned out. Anger, <laughs> 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 cynicism, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, you know, but, but seriously, I mean, and I, 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 you know, on my reflection here, I don't want to, you know, get, I, I do, I've experienced it. I, yeah. I don't know if, I, I think that, you know, Lena, your point about, you know, we have the luxury of kind of getting out of burnout. I mean, yeah. that's, a, that's a very interesting thought. Living in Chicago, we live in this this pace of society that's, I'm not saying we're always operating in the spirit of burnout, but right. there is this, it's always right there at your door knocking. And so 
uh, what we've always, what we've tried to do is use the language of like, yep, I don't have the capacity for that right yeah, now. That's and good. just, yeah. and just saying it, just saying I don't have, I can't do that. And it's so freeing. Like I, I'm doing enough. I don't have capacity for that right now. And just being okay with that. And, um, and, and just making that a regular thing we say, and that's been a good practice for us. And, and I like, I like the idea of saying that, but, and there's certain times when I look back in my life in my twenties or even in thirties that like, I, I don't think I'd feel comfortable saying like that. I feel like, man, I'm, I'm, it's uncle or something. And, and that's so wrong. Right. And, and so even to develop that language is, is, is extremely, extremely helpful. Well, it shows a level of self-awareness that you know your own capacity right. and when you're going to be over capacity and saying, I, I got to take care of myself spiritually, mentally, physically. Lena, how about a last word for today? Yeah, I mean, I would say for that person who's listening is in particular who may feel that weight of a burnout and think, man, I can't, I can't get out of it. Like, good for you, but I'm stuck. I would remind you sort of the point that Kerry made, which is a change of location, a change of vocation, a change of circumstances won't save you from burnout. Uh, it's really a change of heart and perspective. And to that, the answer is Jesus. Well, thanks for joining us again for episode eight of The Gospel Culture and Me. As always, it's a leadership conversation that's focused on culture and the church and where it intersects and how it impacts our life. Kerry Newhoff has become a friend and you are going to want to stay connected with him. Head to leadlikeneverbefore.com for more. Next time, we have another friend, Dave Ferguson, author of Hero Maker, and he's going to be on to talk about how as leaders, we need to make other people the heroes of what's happening in our organizations, not ourselves. I'm Steve Smith. That's next time on The Gospel Culture and Me. If this has been helpful, would you leave a review and subscribe so that you have every episode automatically downloaded to your phone? And leaving a review is going to help us get more listeners to access this content with our great guests. Remember, our culture needs the gospel, and that intersection begins with you.